Amen, right on. We're in week two of the new series called The Perfect Fit. We've been saying this each week that we believe uh, that God created us on purpose for a purpose. God's got a plan for our life and a place that we fit in his kingdom that's being built and established here on earth. Uh, the number one best-selling book of all time, nonfiction, uh, is Pastor Rick Warren's book called The Purpose Driven Life. Why? Because every single one of us are wondering and have that, that interest and that, that, that wish, what's my purpose? What am I doing here? What, what's God's plan for my life? And so the next couple of weeks, we're going to tap into, all right, what's our purpose here? And how's God using us? And the reality is many of us might look at current conditions in our world and go like, man, I can't believe I'm living in these days. But you need to push pause on that and go, man, I can't believe I get to live in these days because God's about to do such a great thing in our hour. Can I get an amen today? And we're so fortunate that we get to be used by him to be a part of that. I'm going to read to you a parable uh, that we find in Luke chapter 10. Uh, I've actually never preached this parable before. I've been in full-time ministry for 20 years. Uh, it's never been preached in this church uh, and by me, uh, Andy Straub. Many of you know Andy. He actually preached it uh, several years ago. But we're going to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's some truths in here that are so incredibly relevant to the hour that we live in, the culture that we find ourselves in. And so let's jump into it. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. This is Jesus telling the parable. A parable means story. So Jesus is telling us this story, and he says this, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead or leaving him for dead. In that condition, he would have died. Uh, A priest happened to be going down by the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed by on the other side. Interesting word there we'll talk about in a second, other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity, or one translation says compassion or mercy, on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, poured oil and wine, And he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus saying, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. This parable was told for those that were there in life account of it, but this parable is also being told to us today. This parable exists because Jesus wants you to understand that we are to go and do likewise, which is be a people, be a Christ follower, be a person who shows mercy to those that are hurting, to show mercy to those who have found themselves beat up by the world, hurt by things that have happened to them, encounters that have left them in dangerous situations. Jesus says, be a people who go and do likewise. I thought it was interesting that the scripture uses the word sides. Isn't it funny how we live in a culture right now, you may have noticed, may not, that there's two different sides to things. We're kind of a two-sided culture that we live in. There's, we even say it, a, maybe a left side and a right side. We, we divide things on these sides. And Jesus is saying, be a people who go and do likewise, which was what? They don't pay attention to the side. They pay attention to the mission. Amen. We're not side people. We're, we're gospel people. We're cross people. We're Jesus people. Can I get an amen today? 
I know it's snowy, but I need you to warm up a little bit for me. We're not side people. We don't make decisions based on whose side somebody is on. We make decisions based on what God's assignment is for our life. And his assignment for our life is to show mercy when people show compassion. This one was pity. It was, it was come and get involved when people are left for dead. John 10 talks about how the, the purpose or the plan of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy. This was a picture of mankind. This is what the mission of the enemy is, is to, is to rob and to strip and to steal and to leave for dead. Jesus is saying that's a picture of mankind and our purpose is to be a people who come alongside that and bring healing. I'll take it one step further. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but then Jesus says, but I have come that I may bring life and bring it to abundance or bring it uh, in, in a full way. What is he saying? He's saying, I've come to bring healing to the situation. Yeah. If we're to be Christ-like, if we're to be imitators of God, the scripture says, then that means your mission is when the world comes to steal, kill, and destroy in other people's lives, you be people who co-labor with Christ so that you might bring healing and life to them. That's our mission. That's our fit. That's our purpose is not to say, well, they're on that side and we're on this side and this. No, no, we come and we bring life and we heal and we restore as we co-labor with Christ. People are our pursuit is how I wrote it down. Many of us would maybe say, oh, no, no, pastor, you got it wrong. People are the problem. <laughs> People are the problem in my life. You, 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 what do you mean pursuit? God, God is using us to go reach people and to heal people. And the enemy does a good job of trying to get us to think that people are the problem. And the truth is, it's pretty easy for us to have those feelings. Why? Because people hurt you. People uh, maybe leave you. People have lied to you. People take from you. People are difficult. The reality is people are difficult. How many of you know some difficult people? How many are sitting next to a difficult... No, I'm sorry. <laughs> People are difficult. It's hard. That's why the enemy is trying to get us to, to live divided and separated and with lines. Why? Because God, God has called us to be a people called to one another, that we pursue people. And if the enemy can get us segregated and separated, we won't be able to accomplish what God's called us to. People are not the problem. Uh, I remember growing up when I was a young youth pastor, uh, my pastor once said this. He said, and I remember just being like, whoa. Uh, my pastor said this and he said, man, pastoring would be great if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> this would be awesome, except for all the people involved. But the reality is we're here for the people. You might say, oh man, being a Christ follower would be awesome, except for the community of people that I got to make a difference in, the people that I got to deal with in my workplaces. But God has called us to this. Uh, I thought about this. The reality is he got jumped, right? He got robbed. He was left for dead. He was on the side of the road. And uh, the, the scripture, again, teaches us that that uh, we're called to be the people who help. God's solution, write it down like this. God's solution to the world's problem is the body of Christ. We say it like this sometimes. The hope of the world, Willow Creek taught this, uh, a great church in Chicago, they taught this. The hope of the world is the body of Christ. The hope of the world is us being Jesus here on earth. It's not government. It's not Hollywood. It's not education. It's not any of those things. The thing that's going to make a difference in our world is when the body of Christ steps up and be the, pe be the people that they're called to be. Can I get an amen? God always uses people to make the difference. The reality is if God didn't use people, if it wasn't that way, then we could just have a salvation teleport. 
You could come to church and we could say, who here wants to accept Christ? And you would pray the sinner's prayer. And if there was no need for you to be used here on earth, it would just be, shoo, get sucked up to heaven. Just like a rapture service. We'd pray the prayer and people would be gone. And, and those, why, do, why are we still here? Because God's got a great work for us to do. If we could just, we wouldn't have to worry about sin or backsliding or temptation. If all it was about was just getting to heaven, then immediately you could pray the prayer and be gone. But the reality is heaven is our destination, but we have an earthly purpose. God wants to use you. He wants to establish and, and, and advance his kingdom here on earth through people. I thought about this man laying in the ditch. He's laying in the ditch and he's, he's injured. He's left for dead, the scripture says. And God's solution wasn't that he sent an angel. God could have just hit a great reset. It could have been like a video game. He could have just popped back up with more lives. But God didn't do that. God could have done an instant healing. What did God do? God sent a person to bring the healing. God always uses people. Why? Because we have great purpose and we have a fit that God wants us to be fit in. And it's our honor. Uh, I wrote it down, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. It says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Ambassadors are a big deal. If you send an ambassador to another country or a different place, you say, hey, I'm being sent here. Uh, the, the scripture says right here as an appeal. I'm showing you what my representation, whatever you're representing, I'm showing you what it's like. We are here showing the world what God is like. We're ambassadors of Christ. It's a great honor. Can I get an amen? And so we should pursue, not avoid, helping people. We pursue the opportunity to help people instead of going to the other side and avoiding. Many times in our life, that's what we do, right? We, oh, pastor's going to ask us to serve. How about we go this way? Or you're in the grocery store and you see that person walking in and they need some help or they're kind of messed up and you're going like, oh, kids, let's go this way. We should be a people pursuing the opportunity to help bring healing. Can I get amen? The word pursue in Hebrew would have meant more like this. It would have been more like stalk or chase. God is calling us to be a people who are stalking other people. Amen. Tweet that. Go ahead. Makes great sense. Pastor said he's calling us to stalk people, to stalk or to chase. Think about that. Your mindset, you're going through your life saying like, I, I, I got to. I got to stalk this hurting situation. I got I to go in there and make a difference. Well, the meaning here would have been like this. It would have been like a lion, a lion lying in the grass waiting to pounce on its prey. That should be the mindset of a Christian is I'm just waiting for the opportunity to jump on something that's hurting so that I can bring healing. I'm a pursuer of things that are hurting. I'm not an avoider. I'm not somebody who goes over to the other side. Can I get an Amen. Four points for us that we can pull out of this parable today that are going to help us accomplish the purposes that God has called us to. Point number one is this. People deserve our care, not our critique. Notice he didn't walk into the side of the road and go, wonder what this guy did to deserve this. He probably got tangled up in the wrong crowd. He probably did this. He didn't start critiquing or show up and say, man, he's hit. That looks right. Oh, that's not going to end well. That's going to be, didn't get out of social media and start resharing. Oh, look how bad this guy is. Look, and start critiquing, critiquing. No, the person needed care. We aren't here to criticize the world. We're here to help heal it. Come on, people. We're here to help heal it. Can I get an amen? Anybody can talk about how messed up things are. It, it, it doesn't make you amazing that you can point out a problem. Anyone can figure out what's wrong with stuff. 
But the people who can figure out how to be the solution are the people who change the world. I hate, I hate connecting and, and, and being with people who walk around always talking about what's, what's wrong. Man, I don't like that over there. Do you see how they're doing that? I wish they wouldn't do that. I wish they played the song this way. I wish they do this this way. Problem, 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 problem. I want to get around some problem solvers in my life. Those are the people who change the world. Those are the people who come in and say, oh, hold on, we can fix this. Hey, we can make this better. Hey, that's not that bad. What if we tried this? What if we did that? Those are the people who make a difference. And the world is waiting for us to be the people who come in and bring truth and solutions. Amen. Yeah. Point number two is this. I hope you're writing these down. Point number two is this. People deserve our compassion. The scripture said that he had pity on him, or one translation says mercy or compassion. Um, I, I do have compassion. I'm a compassionate person. That sounds like somebody who has to already convince you. Like, no, I have compassion. <laughs> uh, you, you've seen me get emotional in sermons, right? I put my heart behind things. And so I'll get up and I'll, and I'll share something with great compassion. But what I don't do very well is empathy. So to explain it a little further, to make my point, I'll get up here and I'll be very compassionate about the need and I'll say, hey, we got to do this and we'll identify the problem and one plus one equals two. And if we do these things, we can do this kind of stuff. And, and that's where I'm at. I'm compassionate about it. But then after that, if, if like people don't get it and we don't start doing it, I have no empathy for that. I'm like, what, what do you mean? What do you mean you're processing it? What, what do you mean you're, you're, you're navigating through your emotions? I laid out the problem. We already know one plus one equals two. Let's go. Well, hold on. I need a minute to work it all out. Yeah, some of my problem solvers people are like, yeah, it makes sense to me. Let's go. <laughs> so I understand compassion. Uh, there's some people in this room that would say I'm working on my empathy. My counselor, if she's watching online right now, she would be with her notebook being like, yes, we're still working on empathy <laughs> because I'm a let's go guy. Uh, and so compassion is, gr- is great. And, and empathy, we, we need that. But I find it even with my parent team. You know, I'm, I, one plus one equals two. This is the equation. Here's the results. And so my kids, you know, my kids like jump off the table and break their leg and their bones are sticking out. I'm like, well, no compassion on me. You, you told you not to jump off the table. <laughs> bones are sticking out, bleeding. That, that looks like it hurts, buddy. I told you not to <laughs> split their head open. I told you not to lean back in your chair. You need my phone? You need to call yourself an ambulance? <laughs> I tell you a million times. <laughs> No compassion in my parenting with that. Well, you shouldn't have done that. You know, told you not to run. But my concern is the church treats the world the same way. No compassion. We see them make, we see the world making bad choices and we go, well, shouldn't have been doing that. Don't you know the way? And we have no compassion. We have no mercy. We have no grace for people who are making mistakes. Are you with me? And this parable is teaching us, no, no, no. They're going, to get, they're going to get robbed by the world. They're going to get beat up. They're going to be, but our result is not to go the other way. Our call is to step in and help bring healing. Can I get an amen? That's why God called us to be a people who pray. Prayer deposits compassion in your life. That's why Jesus said this. Hey, pray for your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Now, you notice that the scripture didn't promise that when you pray for your enemies, they change. Do you know who changes when you pray for your enemy? We do. Because compassion starts to go up in our lives. You start to pray for that group and that thing and this person and that thing. And all of a sudden, your heart starts to tenderize for that thing. Why? Because prayer helps change us. I remember uh, when I was a youth pastor, teenagers would need to get a meeting with me. And they would say, Pastor, my parents, they drive me crazy. Pastor, they're the worst. My parents, blah, blah, blah. Going on their parents, I would say, hey, listen. If you prayed for your parents as much as you complained about them, they would turn into Jesus. 
Start praying for them as much as you complain about them. You come down the stairs, there's just going to be angels. That's what they'll end up being. And it's the same thing in my life. When I get tired in ministry, when I get fatigued of, oh, man, you know, the grind in ministry and all the different needs, all of a sudden I realize, it's like I start to get tired of it. What, what, what do you do? I, start, I say, oh, man, I'm probably lacking in my, in my prayer. So I need to start praying for the purpose again and what God has for me. Are you with me? Because prayer deposits compassion. I would say this to you. Where there's lack of compassion, there's probably a lack of prayer. That's why God calls us to pray for our enemies. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. When Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching their synagogues in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Can I tell you, this scripture has never been in more, play, more in play than right now. Jesus, if he showed up in our culture right now, would look around and he would see a world that is harassed and helpless with people looking like people without a shepherd. And what does he say? He's saying to the disciples, guys, this is your hour. This is your hour to show compassion. This is your hour to show a great heart toward the world. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Well, who are the laborers? The laborers are the ones that move across the street and help bring healing instead that go the other way. So we got to get this right. We got to bring healing to the hurting. Uh, I put it down like this. Your compassion needs to be bigger than your political views. Oh, no, this is where I draw the line. Those people over there don't get my compassion because they don't line up with the way I see the world. No, no, that over there I'm not praying for, and I don't have compassion for that because they have that agenda. Our compassion needs to be bigger than our political views. Can I get an amen? Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, What does the Lord, here's a fun word, require of you? So this is a pretty serious one for all of us. What does the Lord require of you? to act justly, and to love mercy. Not just tolerate mercy, not just every once. No, we love the opportunity to show mercy to those who are hurting. We love the opportunity to pounce, like the translation was, to pounce on things that are hurting. Why? Because we love mercy. And it says to walk humbly with your God. The reality of this story is the, the pastor messed it up. I don't know if you guys know this, but every once in a while a pastor can get it wrong. And so that's what happened here with the priest. The priest is going along and he sees what's happening. He sees the need, but he goes the other way. He misses his opportunity to make a difference. He was probably busy with studying or had a ceremony to do or preparing for baptism or something, whatever a pastor was doing, but he missed his opportunity. The second person was the Levite who would have been like a Christian leader in synagogues and some of the religious organizations. He would have probably been like a staff member in a church, a modern day staff member. So clearly the Levite missed it because there was one thing the Levite was doing, which is the thing that the Levite always has to do, which is what the, which completely occupies their whole life, which is making sure you're doing planning center properly. So missed the opportunity because it was dealing with blockout dates and you know, all the different things. And so missed the opportunity. But then the Samaritan didn't miss his chance, which is amazing because the Samaritan was actually in a race war with the people of his time at this. So if anyone probably had more of an excuse to keep going, it would have been the Samaritan. And he said, no, 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 mercy is greater than all of the other things. If I was like the Samaritan, uh, he was traveling. Uh, if he's anything like me, we don't stop when we're traveling. 
You actually keep going. The scripture said that he retreated and days later was still there handling the thing. I don't know about you, but when we go on a mission, we, we get that thing done. We used to live in North Carolina. It's 12 hours away. We drive back and forth to Michigan. I'd say, all right, guys, we're leaving. It's a 12 hour trip. Make sure you go to the bathroom before we leave. <laughs> so we're not stopping. We're certainly not going backwards. Can I get an amen? Where's the guys at in here that we don't stop? But here he goes like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop all of the other things to make sure I bring healing. Point number three, people deserve our care. People deserve our care. The scripture says that he bandaged his wounds. He, he cleaned them. He used wine to clean the wounds and bandage the wounds. You know what he didn't do? Walk by the situation and say, pray him for you, which is what we do. We see a great need. We hear of a great need. And we click heart on Facebook and we say, pray him for you. Instead of saying, hey, how can I bandage this up for you? How can I come in and stop the bleeding in your life? What, what do you need that's going to help get you healthy again? Are you with me today? It's not enough just to feel for something. We have to engage it. Uh, David Livingstone, a great missionary, said this. Sympathy is no substitute for action. The enemy is not scared if we walk by all these great needs and all these great hurts and go, oh, that breaks my heart. And then we go back to our normal life. If we can look at the hurts of this world and go, oh my gosh, and then get involved, that's what makes hell scared. Are you with me? Uh, We say this all the time. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We've got to show the world, hey, this isn't just talk. These aren't just catchphrases, but instead we're coming in and we're going to help stop the bleeding in your life. Uh, It happens to us all the time. You'll be going on in life and you'll notice something and then you think to yourself, man, I really wish somebody would do something about that. Can I tell you who the somebody is? You. The reason God's showing you it, the reason God keeps illuminating that thing to you is because God is assigning it to you. And so you've got to figure out, okay, how can I get involved in this? How could I be a part of it? I would say it like this. Don't let the frustration of not being able to do everything keep you from doing something. You see a need and you say, oh, that's such a big thing. I wish that we could really do something, but I can only give a little. I'm telling you to give a little because God says when we're faithful with a little, God gives you the opportunity to do more. That's why God has established the laws and principles of stewardship. Are you with me? So we say yes to even the little things. Why? Because God grows it. I'll tell you this. We're in a place right now where this young generation, our teenagers need truth more than they've ever needed it before. Uh, The lies and the attacks and the things that the enemy has gone after in our middle school and high schoolers, they've been under attack like never, ever before. Uh, As a matter of fact, can I tell you this? If you study how marketing is done, so if you look at television specifically in the commercials, uh, their target audience is 30 years old and below. They literally don't even care about the back end of any generation. Everything they do is targeted to the young, impressionable generation. Why? Because they realize if they get them young, they got them forever. So how much more so should the church be stepping in front of young people and saying, hey, let me make sure you understand your identity in God and what is truth. Can I get an amen today? So one of the things we need to do as a church, as far as like finding our perfect fit, is is revamping our student ministry, our 6th through 12th grade. They probably took the biggest uh, punch in the gut during COVID uh, because we don't meet on a Sunday morning and things happening with the facility and uh, they meet at a different time. It was very challenging us for us to keep consistent student ministries. So our mission in this series and over the next couple of weeks is we're going to rebuild and we're going to put some steroids on our 6th through 12th grade programming. Why? Because it is so important that that generation understands and knows God's truth. Can I get an amen? 
And so you may be sitting here going like, well, I can't do it all for teenagers, but can you do something? Can you do something? And so if you're interested in our student ministries as we're bringing it back and we're getting that thing built up, you can text the word serve. We're going to throw that up there. Maybe take a picture if you can't do it right now, but text the word serve to the number there on the screen and it'll start a dialogue with some of our team. We can let you know what that looks like. If you don't want to do it that way, you can go down to our information booth after service and uh, you can just get an information serve card. Let us know you're interested in students and we can get you plugged in with what God is doing there. But I'm promising you it is the best ministry to serve in. Do you want to know if you're qualified to serve in student ministries? Do you know how to eat pizza? Oh, man, then you're ready. You're ready. Uh, They are the best group. They're the funnest to hang out with. I'm a part of it. And uh, as often as I can be, I love to get back there with them. But, But our mission is to build that with great strength. Are you with me? So if you can't do everything... You can do something. He couldn't do everything. He had to take him to a special care place, but he did what he could in that time. That's why James 4, 17 says this. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's disappointing to God. No, no. It says it's sin. If anybody knows the good they ought to do and choose not to do it, God sees it as sin. It's sin in our life when we say, yeah, I can make a difference. Yeah, I could choose to help and bring healing here, but I'm not going to. The scripture views that as sin. Scripture says that he put the man on his own donkey, bloody, dirty, probably stinking, nasty, put him on his donkey and brought him to the inn. He gave the person at the inn two denarii, which they say, depending on this man's lifestyle, uh, was either two weeks worth of wages as a minimum, two weeks, or two months worth of wages for his medical care, and then said, I'll reimburse anything else that needs to go on top of that. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say it cost him something. To heal people, to come in and to to get people back in good standing and on their feet, it costs something. But here's the saying we ought to wake up with every single day, which is this. I'm willing to be inconvenienced for the greater good of someone's salvation. What is in our life that we would be a little bit inconvenienced? Maybe it is in the area of generosity and some of our funds we can put in a different place that might inconvenience us a little bit, but for the greater good of someone's salvation. Maybe it's time, like, oh, I'm busy and I got so many things I want to do, but how maybe I inconvenience myself a little bit and move some things around for the greater good of salvation. Maybe it's in your prayer life. Who knows what it is? Inviting somebody to church, whatever it is. What is the thing that may be an inconvenience to you, but it's so worth it for the greater good of somebody's salvation. Amen. And then point number four, this is where I believe the church gets it so wrong. Point number four is this. People deserve our long-term care. He said, look, not only am I going to get you out of the ditch, not only are we going to stop the bleeding, but I'm going to take care of you in a way that you're going to be good long-term, that you're going to be set long-term. I remember one time we were taking our students to an event at Van Andel Arena back when I was a youth pastor. And there was one of those guys standing on the box and he was screaming at everybody's scriptures about how, you know, if you go into that Griffins game, you're going to go to hell and sports are evil and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, and I remember just being curious and he had this little track thing that he was working off that he was telling the crowd to. And I remember taking one and, and looking at like what he was going through and in the list of things that he had on there, how to do this was like, ask the people if they've ever done any of these things which was like, have you ever lied? And people are like, yeah, I've lied. Have you ever stolen? Yeah, have you ever? And so you go through the list of the commandments. Then basically once you got through the list, it says, well, then tell them they're going to hell. <laughs> so it's like, have you lied? Yeah, have you done this? Yeah, okay, uh, results are in, you're going to hell. <laughs> That's how this script, are you guys scared? Why are you so quiet about that? <laughs> 
And, uh, and so he goes through the whole thing. And then the next cue on his thing was like, okay, after you told them that, uh, then lead them in this prayer. And look, you guys know this. We love the prayer of salvation. We, we actually are probably in the minority of churches who offer the salvation prayer on a very regular basis. We believe in it. Uh, but that's not everything. The salvation prayer isn't the end. God has called us to do long-term prayer. And so what happened on this script, uh, this script that he had was, okay, pray the prayer of salvation. And then at the end of praying the prayer of salvation, it said, what do you do after you do that? It said, tell them, have a good day. <laughs> so you get done with the prayer of salvation. That's like, goodbye. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Now what do I do? I prayed the prayer. Now what do I do? What's the long-term care for my life? What's what, am I a disciple? What do I do next? Do I go to a church? What kind of a church do I go to? And the church has gotten it so wrong saying if we can just get them to raise their hand and pray the prayer of salvation, which is amazing, and that's life change. But if we just leave them at that, if we just get them out of the ditch and then leave them on their own, it's a huge disservice. Can I get an amen? That's why the Great Commission says it like this, Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make people who raise their hands for salvation. Nope. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commands that I have commanded you. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, that's going to take some time. That's going to take some long-term care. That's going to take us being consistent and connected and serving. And then it says, remember everything that I've commanded you. And then it says, and surely I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, I've been given all authority. I give it to you. To do what? To go reach people and to see them saved and to see them healed. But we're also going to make sure they get long-term care. And I'm going to be with you the whole time. That's an amazing thing to be a part of. We're so fortunate that we as the body of Christ get to walk this way. Amen. So one of the ways that we're looking to increase our long-term care in our community is through our hand-to-hand -hand ministry. You may have been with us last week, and we talked to you about this, but we've revamped the way that we do our hand-to-hand -hand ministry. For those of you that don't know what hand-to-hand -hand is, I'll kind of give you a quick version of it. Uh, but here in our area, they identified that students were going hungry on the weekends. Some kids that got free school lunches and things during the week, they had their needs met. But when it came to the weekend, uh, they were coming back to school hungry or with hunger issues. And they weren't able to do their homework or study because they were so concerned with their food needs. So a couple years ago, we partnered with Hand to Hand. You guys can throw that up there. We partnered with Hand to Hand and uh, we launched our outreach center. On the back side of this building, uh, we've completely renovated and opened up a food bank. And many amazing volunteers come in during the week and they pick up the food that we pack and they literally bring Bring them to the lockers of students all over our community, and um, it ministers to families on the weekend. Uh, but in the past, over the last couple years as we did it, it was kind of clunky because it was sort of weird for some of us where we would post, we need granola bars or fruit cups or all these different things, and we'd be dragging those items in on a Sunday, right? You got your kids, you got your stuff, and you got your SpaghettiOs. You know, it's like a clunky way to do it. And so we said, hey, is there a better way that we can do this that's more efficient? And uh, we decided to come up with a family sponsorship. Instead of you bringing in items and dragging things along with you, uh, if you sponsor a family, it's $240 for the entire school year. That feeds a family for the weekend. And uh, our, our ministry does a great job partnering with a lot of other organizations to get our food filled. And so we can offer an amazing ministry on weekends for just $240 through the school year. You can do a one-time donation or a reoccurring donation. You say, Pastor, what is this? This is long-term care. This is the church inconveniencing ourselves a little bit so that we can make long-term care. You say, well, pastor, how spiritual is that? That's just food. Well, look how much Jesus ministered by way of food. 
Hey, come with me. Let's have a meal. Let's talk. This is us coming alongside, stopping some bleeding, bandaging some wounds, and letting people know, hey, we truly care. People don't care how much you know. It doesn't matter how good we do worship and sermons, all that stuff, until people know how much we care. We say this all the time, kind of a motto as our church. We say, if our church closed tomorrow, would our community even know it? Are we just a four walls church where everything that happens happens inside of here? And our desire is that we're so connected outside of here that, yeah, if our church closed tomorrow, they would say, hey, what happened to Vertical? Why? Because we want to be a long-term care church that meets the needs of our community. So please be praying about that. There's envelopes on your seat. You can take that out and fill that out and drop it in the boxes in the back if you feel led toward. Take it home and pray about it. You can also set all that up online as well. Just go into our giving and pick a donation tab if you would like. And um, it allows us to be able to plan menus in advance. Just be very, very efficient. And uh, our desire is that we are in a position that anytime a principal or a school calls and says, hey, we've identified a couple more students that need some help, we'll be like, absolutely, we're on it. And um, long-term care is what we're committed to. Amen. Then here's what Jesus says. Uh, this is what the scripture teaches us. This is, this is coming from Galatians. This is our writing uh, to us. Is like, hey, you might get tired in long-term care. Long-term care is a lot of work. The scripture said discipling people, teaching them to obey all the commandments. That's all a lot of work. But he gives us this promise in Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Guys, that's a promise. Do you want to see the world a better place? Do you want to make a difference in your community? Stay committed to long-term care. And God says at the proper time, you're going to see that harvest. How many want to be a part of that harvest? Let's stick to long-term care. We're not going to move to the other side of the road. We're going to move toward the hurting because that's what God's called us to be. Amen? Let me pray for you. God, we love you so much. We're so grateful for the way that you lead us and you love us. God, we want to be a people of mercy and compassion. God, we want to be a people who move to the hurting. We don't want to critique or criticize or judge or draw lines. God, help us be the people who can come in and bring the care. Lord, let us have the eyesight for long-term